to take them and turn with me to the book of Ruth. I've had in my spirit now for, for some time that I wanted to talk to you. I don't, I don't want to make an extended series out of this. Uh, but for today and next week, I'm going to talk to you about a, a topic that I've entitled, So You Want to Be Friends. So You Want to Be Friends. When I was a kid and growing up, uh, growing up in the church, I got saved at least 150 times a year. I got saved on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and many times on Wednesday night in, in YPE. Yeah, how many of you remember YPE? Anybody? Yeah, you could actually, we had uh, Young People's Endeavor is what that, uh, that meant. And so I would get saved several times, and every time I got saved, somebody in the church would come up and say, now you need to ditch all your friends because you need to just hang out with the church kids. The problem with that is, is that I grew up in a small southern Illinois farming community where we only had about 4,000 people, and I went to school with all of my friends that went to church, and the ones that didn't go to church, I went to school with them, and so it was hard just for me to show up one day and say to them, I got saved again, so I can't talk to you anymore. And then, you know, uh, beside the fact that Rocky lived just three houses down the road, Rocky and, and Bullwinkle, his mother, no, I'm just kidding, his, his actual name was Norman, but we called him Rocky, and then at times we called him the Twink, I'm not sure why, but we did. So we had him, and then we had Eric, uh, who lived on the other side of town, and we just always just called him Eric, I don't, I don't know why. But then we had down in the trailer court, we had a young man who had flaming red hair, uh, his name was Kenny, and we called him Red on the Head, uh, you know, and, that, and they just called me, you know, whatever happened to come out of their mouth on, on that particular day. Uh, most of the time, I was the bake, and so there we were, the team of four. I was the only one that went to church, and so every time I'd get saved, the, ch the, the church people would come up to me and say, now, you need to ditch those guys and Pick out some people in the church that you can hang out with. But the problem was I wasn't really all that excited about the people in the church. And so I was trying to, I, I, always, I always struggled with this idea of how can you be a Christian and how can you also have good, strong, solid friends? And what are the principles that are involved in these friendships? And so... Today we're going to talk about Ruth and Naomi and Orpah and their relationship together. And then next week I'm going to talk to you about David and Jonathan and their relationship together. And some of the principles, some of the ideas, some of the components that we can discover from Scripture uh, that will help us to have some of the best relationships and friendships that we can have. So by now you should be at Ruth chapter 1, and uh, everybody there, wave your hand. Good, all right, Ruth chapter 1 beginning at verse 1. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, and he and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. And the name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there for about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go and return each of you to your mother's house, and may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have 
dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, and go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything, that de anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. And so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you will help me to communicate effectively today for us to discuss with purpose these principles that will bring good fruit in our lives. Father, long time has passed since I've wanted to move people with my stirring oratory. Lord, I'm just, as I've been told, I'm just a Southern Illinois redneck. I don't I don't know how to do anything other than just the way that I do it. But Lord, I pray that you'll help me to get out of myself and somehow effectively communicate what it is that I believe that you're saying to us today. And I pray for the hearts of your people that they will receive your word because it is your word that will set them free. It is your word that will spark faith in them. It is your word that will bring transformation that is needed in their lives. And Lord, once we catch it, once we get the knowledge, then we can apply wisdom using the anointing that you have poured upon us and into us by the Holy Spirit. Now speak to our hearts in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're ready, ready Freddy, amen. So you want to be friends. I never forget those Guys that I told you about, Rocky, Twink, Red on the Head, Eric. I remember one time I got saved, and I almost got the Holy Ghost. How many of you old-time Pentecostals know what that is? I mean, prayed until I sweat and spit and slobbered all over everybody, and I got really close. And there was somebody in the back of me saying, turn loose, and somebody on the other side saying, let go and hold on and all those kinds of things. And I, I was just going at it. And I didn't get the Holy Ghost that night. I, I didn't know it was something 
I, I didn't know how to properly pray to receive the Holy Ghost is the bottom line. I didn't have the knowledge that I needed, but I was trying. And so I decided, they, they told me that night for the 1,500th time, they said, well, yeah, you know, there's always next time. But the good news is, is you got sanctified, son. How many of you have got sanctified at least a million times in, in your day when you were a kid? I decided, I was talking to my friends, and in particular, I was talking to Twink one day about this Holy Ghost. I said, I just don't get it. I had another friend, his name was Mike Ferris, and he went to another church, and he had just told me, he said, we don't pray like that for the Holy Ghost. They just take us down in the basement, and we go through a class for six weeks, and they teach us how to speak in tongues, and after six weeks, we come back upstairs, come down to the altar, and they tell us to release us, and we just start using the words that they taught us in class in the basement. And I said, that sounds like a pretty cool idea to me. Seems like it'd be easier for me to get the Holy Ghost. But, but I, you know, Mike said, you need to come to my church. And I thought, well, since my dad is the pastor of my church, I might have a hard time pulling that off. So I'm talking to Twink and saying, you know, I don't know, maybe we could sneak over there and get the Holy Ghost and then we could come back. Maybe, maybe they'd let us speak in tongues in our church. And, you know, all these, you know, this friendship kind of stuff going on and all these conversations. And, and finally, Rocky said, Twink, Rocky, he said, I'll go to church with you and we'll both get the Holy Ghost. Well, he wasn't even saved, I was pretty sure, but he was going to get the Holy Ghost. And so the church, he comes with me, and, and we, sure enough, Sister Snedeker started doing the helicopter, which she always did, and, and you know, and then they had the, they, there's these two ladies, there were one large lady, she'd get another lady, and she'd just pick her up in her arms and just start whipping her legs up in the air like that, and it just one of those great old-time Holy Ghost church services, I don't, I don't know. Church was over. We had on to try to go find all the leftover bobby pins, and we can get down on the floor and look for those bobby pins. And whoever got the most bobby pins was the winner that night. You guys think I'm lying? I'm making up stories. That's the kind of church I went to. The first time Sister Snedeker cranked up the helicopter, and then the other lady going like this with the other little short lady, Rocky said, "I'm out of here." He said, I ain't getting no Holy Ghost tonight, and I don't want no Holy Ghost next week if that's what it's going to do. He said, but we remain friends. And, it, and it's just amazing to me that even to this day, we are still connected to one another through Facebook and other social media and things like that. Rocky went on to get saved, but he got saved in a Baptist church, so he didn't have to have that Holy Ghost. You know what I'm talking about? He got saved and he got married and he's serving the Lord and, and Eric went on and, and started serving the Lord and, and, and uh, I haven't heard from Kenny in a while. I guess we're still trying to get him saved, but you never know. Red on the head may succumb one of these days. But through the years, I always struggled with this idea of, you know, how can you be a child of God and the salt and the earth of, of, uh, and representative of him and, and then suddenly put yourself in some safe house or safe room and, and never interact with people who are outside of our faith. There has to be a way that we can live among people that will allow us to influence their lives. And so in our passage of scripture today, I want to point out to you at the very beginning that when Naomi and Elimelech and Malon and Chilion went to the other land, to, to the land of Moab, they were the people of God. They were, they were from Judah. They were from Bethlehem. And they went to Moab and they were in a land where there were foreign gods. And so when Malon and Chilion married, they married Orpah. By the way, did you know that Oprah Winfrey said that she was named after Orpah? but that her mom and dad could not spell it. And so when they put it on the birth certificate, they put Oprah instead of Orpah. That was all free. It didn't cost you a dime. But when Malon and Chilion married Ruth and, and, uh, and Orpah, they were marrying outside of their faith. 
They, they were marrying in such a way that one believed one thing and another believed another. So it was one of those kinds of situations where they had to find a way for this friendship, for this relationship to come together. And so today I want, I want to give you four observations, four things that I believe will be helpful for us in understanding this. There are four components of friendship in this story and in this scripture text today. And the first component is this. It is the component of liking. The component of liking. Now, how many of you know that if you're going to be with friends with somebody, you kind of need to like them because you don't want to be friends with somebody and you hate their guts. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to pick somebody out that you don't like and that you don't have anything in common with and just say, I want to be your friend because it doesn't work very well. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to say you shouldn't find people uh, who need the love of Christ spoken into their lives, even though they may, may be very different from you. But I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about living in community with one another. You kind of need to like them. How many of you have ever... Uh, saw the movie years ago, Shenandoah, had Jimmy Stewart in, and Sam came one day and, and sits down with Jimmy Stewart, and he says, I want to marry your daughter. And Jimmy Stewart looks at him, and he says, why? And he said, because I love her. And he said, really? He said, do you like her? And it kind of took him aback for a moment, and he said, I just told you, I love her. And he said, yeah. He said, but I want to know if you like her. He said, it took me a full three years to discover that I loved my wife. But before I knew that I loved her, I was convinced that I liked her a whole lot. I remember when I first met Donna. I don't know what it was about her, but it was like somebody turned a switch on in me. And I said, I like her. Not just a little bit. She's a city girl. She grew up in East St. Louis. Can you believe that? Granite City, Illinois. Stinkiest place in the world. You can drive into Granite City and you can be sound asleep. And the steel mills there stink so badly that it'll wake you up from asleep because it smells so bad. That's where she was raised. City girl. She knows all about that city stuff. She knows to help this old country redneck know how to be city when I need to be. She obviously did not dress me this morning. Amen? <laughs> I put her on notice last night. I said, I have worn a tie and a jacket three weeks in a row. I ain't doing it tomorrow. I said, I'm wearing my chucks and I'm wearing a shirt and I ain't tugging it in. I'm going casual. She just kind of gave me one of those looks, one of those city girl looks. But when I got here to church, come here, Matt, come up here, run real quick, hurry. You know, I'm praying, Lord, did I do the right thing? You know, is it going to be all right? The old people aren't going to freak out or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, the Lord sent Matt as a confirmation in the spirit today that I did just fine dressing myself today. Isn't that great? You're a good man. Must be filled with the Holy Ghost too. Now in scripture, there are, there are at least four words in the Old Testament that describe this concept of love. One of them is the word phileo. It's a Greek word and it means spontaneous, natural affection with more feeling than reason. Let me say that again. It is spontaneous, natural affection with more feeling than reason. Does that make sense to you? In other words, it is emotional. It is something that is stirred in our emotion when we see somebody or something that we, all of a sudden it dawns on us 
that I like him or I like her or I like that car or I like that kind of pie or I like. It, it is a spontaneous emotion or affection, a natural affection with more feeling than reason. It's, I don't know why I like you, but I just like you. One of my pastor friends You'll have to delete all this out of the tape because I don't want him to hear it. I'm just kidding. One of my pastor friends just left the church where he was and went to a new church. He hadn't been there a month yet. And every time that he posts something on Facebook, he says, I love my church in big capital letters. And I thought to myself, he doesn't love his church. He doesn't even know his church yet. What he's feeling is, is that he hated his last church and he wanted to get away from there. That's the part I want you to cut out if you can. He didn't like where he was. He was not one with I'm not talking bad about him. It's just a reality. He didn't like. They didn't fit. It wasn't a good mash. And so he needed to leave and get with somebody that could. Now, the new church, what he's feeling is a natural affection the pressure is off, and he's feeling something emotionally that probably at this stage in the game is just a natural affection with more feeling than reason. Now, many of you know what I'm talking about. You, you see somebody, you meet somebody, and I mean, your first response is, is that I like them. I think I like them. There's, some, there's a kindred spirit there. I mean, I feel like that it's somebody that I could be close to. And oftentimes that develops into what we're going to talk about in, the mo in, in, in just a moment. But sometimes that first natural affection is not the basis for a strong relationship. There are people and things that we can like that are not necessarily good for us. The other day, my wife, she said, what do you want to eat today? I said, I don't know. What are you in the mood for? She said, spaghetti. And I kind of took a deep sigh. And it's, kind of, it's not that I don't like spaghetti, but I'd had pasta the day before. And I'd had pasta the day before. And I'd had some pasta just a few days before that. And when you're trying to watch your carbs, how many of you know that pasta is really not the best thing to have? And so I said, well, if you want to go get some spaghetti, we'll go get some spaghetti. I said, but it's really probably not the best thing for me to have tonight. I like it. I mean, I, who couldn't like spaghetti? You sit there and you can suck it up with your mouth. And if the grandbabies are there, you get a straw and go down into the spaghetti and, and suck it up in the straw. I mean, spaghetti's fun. Amen. I mean, it's a blast. But it's not always what I need. It's not always what's going to produce something good in my body. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so when we start building relationships in our lives, we naturally, we look and we say, oh, it looks good. I think I could like this person. And so we begin to pursue it. And then we find out that, well, I was right. This is a good match. This is someone that I can be in a relationship with, a friendship with. This is something that can produce something good in my life, and I can return that good fruit into their lives. But sometimes we need to say, this is not what I thought at first that it could be. So the first component is that of liking. We have to have some connection point in the natural realm, which leads us to the second component, and that is the component of loving. Now, this is interesting. I, I guess I didn't know this until this week as I was studying. You know that the, the Greek word eros is, is a word that they use to describe sexual activity. But did you know that the Greek word eros is not used in the New Testament? It's not found at all. It's just a word that they used to describe sexual relationships between a husband and a wife. So the word eros is not the word that we're looking for then in this situation. Because it means something totally different. Then there is the Greek word storge, S-T-O-R-G-E. And it is a type of love signifying a natural affection between kinfolk. 
How many of you are parents? Can I see your hand? Do you remember the feeling that you had when the doctor handed you that baby for the first time? I mean, if you're, if you're a mother and you carry that baby uh, for all those months and, and you, you're already bonding with that baby, maybe you're a dad and you'd put your face on mom's stomach and you'd sing to the baby and talk to the baby and say, boy, when you get out here, we're going to have a great time and you're going to love me and I'm going to love you and it's going to be a wonderful thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, we think that we've got love down. And we think that we're feeling everything that we can possibly feel. And then all of a sudden they hand this little bundle of baby into, into our hands. And, and, and we feel something that we could not have prepared ourselves for in a million years. We have emotions. I've seen grown, strong, burly men break down and cry like a little baby when they put that baby in, in his hands. What is that? That is a natural affection between family members. It's just there. Sadly, even though God starts us off with this kind of love, many times we do not develop that kind of love in our family relationships. Many times family members can, can be some of your worst enemies in the world because we don't develop that storage kind of love. But then not only is there storage, but then there is agape love. Now, you've heard about agape love because it's the God kind of love. And it's defined as moral goodwill, which proceeds from esteem, principle, or duty, rather than attraction or charm. In other words, I can learn to love you. And my wife has had to learn to love me. She, had, had, she, she learned very quickly in our relationship that I'm not perfect. It didn't take you long, did it? You just, even just a few minutes, it didn't take long at all. And so she was confronted with this, with this, this thing where she had to say, okay, I have got to either hate his guts and spend the rest of my life either with him or divorce him and go somewhere else or... Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I've got to learn how to love this guy. He's a southern Illinois redneck, but I'm going to find a way to love him. And you know how that works? Some of the things that she thought she would love about me is not at all what she loves about me. And the things that she didn't think she'd love about me are the things that she does love about me. Because as we begin to build our relationships, we build them based on principles of the Spirit of God that is within us. Now, where does God live? Can you answer that question? He lives right here. If you are saved, if you are a child of God, if you have invited Him into your life, then the Spirit of God lives within you. And he is there not just to take up space, but he is the divine teacher who will teach us all things. And so this, this component of love is something that we learn over the years. Now, when we were two years into the relationship, I thought, I love her now. I, I liked her, but I think I love her now. I don't care what Jimmy Stewart says. I think I love her now. And I did love her now. But you know what now? 37 years later, it won't be long, it'll be 38, right? Can you make it that long? Praise God. 37 years into this relationship, I love her in ways that I did not know was possible. I have friends in my life that I love in ways that I did not know. I have pastor friends who are close, personal friends with me. But because of our calling, we're all the way across the country from one another. 
The only way that we can ever converse is if we use our cell phone or if we text one another or occasionally Facebook. But when we get together and we sit across a table with a cup of coffee, it all comes flooding back that relationship, that love relationship that we have with one another. Why? Because it is the Spirit of God within us that teaches us how to love one another. Can you think of anybody right now who is a Christian that you have a hard time loving? Keep your hand down. Don't let it go up accidentally. I mean, you can see them in your mind's eye right now. Oh, God. I have such a hard time loving that person. You know what we've got to do? We've got to start praying, Lord, they're a brother or they are a sister in Christ. I need to learn how to appreciate them. I need to learn how to love them. And so Holy Spirit, will you help me? Will you open my eyes so that I can love things about them that I, I'm not really crazy about right now? Now, you know what God often does? Is God will show you a characteristic in that person that you did not see before And you learn to love them based on that characteristic. And the characteristic that was driving you nuts fades into the background. How does that happen? Because the Holy Spirit of God is teaching you how to love. And that's what happens. That's what happened in our story today. We've got people who came from all different walks of life. From different faith systems from different areas, and yet God brought them together in such a way that they could love one another over a period of several years. Scholars tell us, and we know from Scripture, that from the time that Elimelech died and the time that Malon and Chilion died was a space of about 10 years. So they had 10 years of relationship to learn how to like and love one another in a way that would, that would produce a positive fruit in their relationship. So there is agape love. Now there's a third component I want to share with you. It is, it, we've, we've got the component of liking someone. We've got the component of loving someone. And then we have the component of leading. Leading. Let me ask you this. Who leads in your relationships? Say, well, nobody leads. We're just there. We just hang out. We just like coffee. Well, who suggested that you go to Starbucks? Whose idea was it? So we, we just like to hang out at movies, okay? Who suggested that you go see the movie? Who's leading the relationship? Who is the stronger personality. And what is most important for the Christian is, is it you? Because if it isn't you leading, then it is you following. And if you're following someone who is not in Christ in a mature relationship on the same level as you are, then you'll find yourself in in moments when you're having to decide, am I going to be part of that or am I not? And And you're going to have to make decisions that can sometimes be more, more important than maintaining the relationship. When I was a young pastor, I had an older pastor come to me and said this to me, said, said, son, let me tell you something. Said, when you go to a new congregation, said, you're going to experience a phenomenon that every pastor experiences. Said, when you go there, your faith level and your emotions are going to be way up here. He said, and when you get to that church, said, their emotions are going to be way down here. And said, there's a reason for that. Said, number one, it may be because they have just lost a pastor that they dearly loved. They may have had a pastor that got saved, they got saved under his preaching, under his ministry. 
It may be a pastor who spoke to them during a time when their marriage was having difficulties and he helped them and, 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 and was able to solidify that relationship. And so you're going to be up here and they're going to be down here struggling and hurting because they've just had a relationship in. And he said sometimes it will be because a pastor mistreated them. Sometimes it will be because of the lack of character in, or integrity in the leadership. And so the people are struggling and hurting and they don't even know if they want to be there anymore. And they're looking to you to take them from where they are and pull them up to where you are. To lead them up. He said, but here's what you have to be careful of. He said, you'll go in up here and they'll be down here. And if you're not careful, you'll listen to them for long enough. And you'll listen to their hurts. And you'll hear their cries. And you'll hear their pain. And everybody will be talking bad. And everybody will be focused on the negative. And if you're not careful, instead of you pulling them up to where you are, they'll start pulling you down to where they are. Now listen to me. With God's help. I'm not going to let you do that to me. I'm not going to let your concerns pull me down. Because God has put me here to lead. And I may do some things and say some things that you don't like. But I'm not coming down with the Lord's help to where I cannot lead you effectively. Now here's what I'm trying to say to you about your relationships. If you're not careful, you'll find yourself in a friendship where their personality is stronger than yours or their need is stronger than yours and their frustration is greater than yours and the difficulties that they're facing is stronger and more, more, more current than yours. And if you're not careful, if you don't find yourself in a, in a place of power and strength, they will pull you down to where you don't want to be. So in those moments, you've got to make a decision now. Do I end this relationship? And sometimes you need to. Sometimes you need to say, I just can't deal with this. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the knowledge that I need to help this person. And so I'm going to have a discussion with them. And then I'm going to kind of begin to back up a little bit from this relationship. But I'm not going to leave them in the lurch. I'm going to try to connect them with someone who is stronger or more mature or has more knowledge about this than me. And I'm going to let them transfer into their mentorship. Everybody following me? You tracking with me today? Listen, I knew you weren't going to shout today. Even if I have my chucks on, I'm just telling you if a Jericho march breaks out, I'm ready to go. But there probably ain't going to be one today because I'm giving you some stuff this morning that if you'll take it and chew on it, it will help you in life. Somebody say amen. amen. And so there's this lead responsibility. Everywhere I look in this scripture, everywhere, and I read about me, and who I'm supposed to be, it always puts me in a position where the God in me is supposed to pull others up. I am supposed to encourage you. I am supposed to edify you. I am supposed to build you. God didn't call me to build a church numerically. He called me to build people so that they can be everything that God intends for them to be. But if I lower myself, if I put myself in a position now where I have lost my influence because I have compromised in order to fit into a relationship or a situation, then I can't lead higher if I myself am going lower. So what does any of that have to do with Naomi and Orpah and Ruth? Thank you for asking. Naomi had lost her husband, Elimelech. Ten years before, her husband died, and she found herself in a very difficult situation. 
Ten years later, Malon and Chilion, her two sons, died. And now she is in a position where her husband is gone, her son is gone, and her younger son is gone. And now all she has left is these two daughter-in-laws that she is responsible for. What did she say to them? She didn't say, don't worry about it, girls. It's going to be okay. God's going to help us. We're going to move forward. We'll find a way somehow. I don't know how. I don't know when. He'll do it again. She didn't say that. You know what she said? She said, you guys need to leave me and go back home where you can get married again. You need to separate yourself from me because of the state of mind that I am in. And you need to go back home. And you know what happened? Orpah said, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to connect myself to my family so that I can be married again and live a normal people, a normal life with my people and serving my gods. Now, before you put Orpah down, There are many scholars who believe that Orpah was the younger of the two. That she was young enough that she was faced with the reality that she could spend the whole rest of her life single and without being married. Because by law, they had to marry into Naomi's bloodline and be taken care of. And that's why Naomi said, you got to go home. Because I don't have a bloodline. I don't, I don't have any sons. I don't even have a husband. That's what she said when she said, I don't have any hope. What she's saying is, is that I'm so old that nobody's going to want me. And even if they did, and even if I were married today, I could not conceive a child. And even if I did conceive a child tonight, would you be willing to wait for the birth of that child and then the age of that child to get to the place where they can make an honest woman of you? She's thinking about them. She's not thinking about herself. She's trying to let them know that there is a better plan for you. And so she's leading them. She's pulling them up higher. Don't you imagine it would have been easier just to have them with her? She wouldn't be alone. She'd have somebody to talk to. She'd have somebody who loved her. She'd have someone who could wrap their arms of love around her. She would have a companion. She'd have someone there with her. But instead, she's thinking about them. She's saying, you need to leave me. She had, been, she had become bitter because when she went back home, she told them, to, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because the Lord has put bitterness on me. So he is, she is leading them to a higher place. Let me ask you a question today. Who's leading your relationships? Who is it? Is it you? Is it your boss at work? Is your boss asking you to do things that are contrary to Scripture? Is your boss asking you to cheat a little on the underside? Is your boss asking you to do things that you know are contrary to Scripture? We find ourselves in a dilemma in America today. Who in the world am I going to vote for? I'm not trying to get political today, but I'm telling you for the first time in a long time, I'm having to hit the altar and say, God, you've got to direct me. I don't know. Now, you Democrats just settle yourselves down a little bit, and you Republicans do the same thing. We ain't going to have a fight today over who's going to win the presidency. But what I'm saying to you is, is that there are circumstances and situations in life where we have to go to prayer and say, God, I need your leading here so that my example can lead others. Are you leading? Or are you being led? Brings me to, I have a quote I want to share with you. My wife brought this to me. She did such a great job preaching last week. I asked her if she wanted to do it again this week. She said, no, I'm going to let you handle it. But then she sent me this, and she said, you might want to use this. I said, praise God. 
last night we were talking about the church and you know kind of what we're sensing and feeling and 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 some dangerous waters that we're having to wade through right now in certain situations and and she she comes up to me and she said you need to preach on this she didn't tell me what i mean she told me what i'm not telling you what and i kind of looked at her and i said it seemed good to you and the holy ghost amen and i'm I may very well have to preach the very thing she's talking about because it bounced in my spirit when she said it. But here's the thing. God will help us. Here's the quote. The people we surround ourselves with either raise or lower our standards. They either help us to become the best version of ourselves or encourage us to become lesser versions of ourselves. We become like our friends. No man becomes great on his own. No woman becomes great on her own. The people around them help to make them great. And we all need people in our lives who raise our standards, who remind us of our essential purpose. And challenge us to become the best version of ourselves. Who's pulling you down? Because you may need to think about that relationship and say, while I don't want to hurt this individual, I have to keep myself in a place where I can be as effective as I can possibly be so that I can help others. This week uh, on Saturday, I was watching the news and there was this uh, lady, she was a chef, uh, one of the first black chefs in New York who had her own restaurant. She's older now and she was telling her story and she was telling about how that at first there were people who didn't, didn't want her to succeed. They wanted to pull her down, but she got people around her who would build her up. And who would help her to become all that she could be. And she became very successful. And she attributed that success to the ones who encouraged her. And who built her up. And so what I'm saying to you is. Is that while we have a job to do to help other people. We must first keep ourselves healthy spiritually. Or we will never be able to help others. And she told this story about when she flew on the airplane not long ago. And she said, I've heard it a hundred times. How that they always say at the beginning of the flight that if we get into turbulent weather, and the, the mask will fall on their own. The first thing you should do is reach out and grab your own mask and put it on your face so that you can breathe. And once you can breathe, your hands will be available to help the person on your right or to your left. And she said, it struck me like nothing had struck me in a long time because it came to me that if I don't take care of myself, if I don't grow myself, if I don't mature myself in the things of the Spirit, then how in the world am I ever going to help somebody else? The most important person for you to love uh, is you. Because once you love yourself, then you will automatically, because of the Spirit of God that is in you, start loving others. But you won't be loving them with natural love. You will be loving them with spiritual love. One final component, and then I'm, I'm quitting. I, I didn't hear one amen just then. And Jane's back. There's the component of liking, the component of loving, the component of leading, and then there's the component of loyalty. Loyalty. Now, I know that I just told you that there's some relationships that you need to get out of. But I want to tell you now, there are some relationships that you want to get out of that you don't need to get out of. Because if you'll just stick with it and do the things that God has called you to do, 
you'll be able to turn a bad situation into a good situation. Notice Ruth chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. It says, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. And where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. What's Ruth saying? She's saying, I'm in this for the long haul. It may be true that I face circumstances that just frustrate the life out of me. There are things that just aggravate me and make me so frustrated that I can hardly see straight. But I'm not giving up on you. I'm not quitting. I'm not going to turn away and go the other direction. Now let me just stop long enough to say there's a time when God may possibly move you into a different paradigm and into a different place. God does that. But when God does that, He always does it in order. He always expects the child of God to terminate relationships spiritually. And when children of God do not terminate relationships spiritually, God was never in the transition. Because God would never tell you to do something that violates Scripture. I think I've told you this story before, but in my southern Illinois redneck town, one Wednesday night at YPE, our youth leader stood up and said, Pastor, I need to testify. She stood up and she began to testify about how the Holy Ghost had come to her this week and told her to drive over to Carlos's house and have an affair with him. Because it was the hand of God. I can still see the look on my dad's face, who was the pastor. I'm glad he didn't ask her to repeat it because he misheard it. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop in the place. It was funny. All the youth are sitting back there saying like, we didn't know that already. Carlos's son is sitting right here. He's already told us about all the times you've been over there. God didn't have anything to do with it. God's not going to ask you to do something that is contrary to his word. When transition comes, it will come through order. I, you know, I hate to ever even say anything else about it, but it happens all the time. People leave the church. They don't want me to know it. It's like, I'm not going to know it. They just leave. He'll never know. And then I call him one day. Oh, well, God told us to leave. And I tell him every stinking time. God didn't have nothing to do with it. Because if he had, he would have encouraged you to come and sit down with the leadership of the church and say, you know, pastor, I'm feeling this in my spirit and I don't know if it's from God or if it's not, but I don't want to make a poor decision. Will you pray with me? Will you help me? I want the mind of Christ I don't want to do damage to all the things that, that I've done good during my time here. 
I, I don't want to lose it all because I make a poor decision out of frustration. And it's not just the church. It's friendships. It's husbands and wives who get so frustrated with each other that one day they just make up their mind, I've had all I want, and I'm out of here. And instead of sticking with it and saying, God, will you help us? God, will you please help us? Will you give us wisdom? Will you give us knowledge, God? Because I'm not out to try and get the flesh satisfied. I want you to be satisfied. Orpah left. Ruth stayed. There is not one negative word spoken about Orpah's leaving. Not one negative word. Why? Because Orpah's destiny was in her home with her family, with her people. Ruth's destiny was in Naomi's home, in Naomi's family. You know the story. They go back home and people start saying, hey, I think that's Naomi. That's Naomi. Naomi came home. That's Naomi. And Naomi said, don't call me Naomi because the Lord's taken everything away from me. Call me Mara. Springs of bitterness. And they welcomed them back. And they welcomed Ruth, who they should not have welcomed because she was a Moabite. But because of Naomi, They welcomed Ruth, and Naomi said to Ruth, Ruth, there's a guy down the road. His name is Boaz. And he owns a lot of property and a lot of fields. And why don't you just go down there and glean in his field? So Ruth went down and found Boaz's field. Begin to glean in Boaz's field. Hi, Bo, how you doing? You're looking sweet today, Bo. Woo, Bo. Hey, you've been lifting weights again because you sure look good. You say, oh, come on, Pat. Oh, well, yeah, I'm not done yet. Ruth comes home, Naomi says, tonight, go to where Boaz sleeps and lay yourself at his feet. Now get your mind up out of the gutter now. There ain't nothing going on sexual at somebody's feet. They smell too bad and they're ugly as homemade soap. And she said, when he asked you what you should do, you heed to his words and you obey his voice. And you know the rest of the story. She's in Boaz's field every day. And Boaz says, don't you dare, any of you men out there, don't you dare lay a hand on her. Don't you dare hurt her in any way. And as you're picking my crop, Don't just leave the part that accidentally falls, but I want you to start laying some on-purpose blessings for this girl named Ruth. And they started leaving on-purpose blessings for Ruth. I'm talking about divine destiny here. I'm talking about God setting the situation up in such a way that Naomi's going to be blessed and Ruth is going to be blessed and Boaz is going to be blessed and we're going to be blessed 
because I didn't know if you knew that Boaz's mama was a lady named Rahab and Boaz fathered a child that fathered a child that fathered Obed that fathered Jesse and Jesse was the father of David and David's lineage produced Don't you dare even suggest to me that God doesn't know what he's doing. Because he does. And he did all of that through earthly relationships. I have a word for somebody today. And I want you to hear what I'm saying right now. And then we're going to sing and we're going to pray. There are individuals in this house right now that you just don't think you're good enough. You just don't think you have what it takes. You you just don't have the breeding, the stock. Really? Think about Rahab. Think about Naomi who was bitter and so bitter that she said, don't even call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. She did not allow her circumstances to bring her so low that she could not focus on people who needed to be lifted high. I know you're going through tough stuff. I know you're going through difficult things, but listen, if you'll be faithful, if you'll be loyal, God will bless you. back this precious little lady right now right here sitting right here Linda surprised all of us healthy I'll never forget the first time that I saw you Linda I was standing on the stage in this back building and you came in that back door over there and you had on high heels must have been this high you came in the door full of energy full of life who would have known that she would have a stroke one day that would affect her in the ways that it has and just let me tell you I've never seen anybody fight anything any harder and this woman has been fighting this situation. Never seen anybody. Never seen anybody. But what you may not know is that there is a lady named Pat. What's her last name? Brantley. Pat Brantley. Who several years ago Linda and Jerry's son, Clay, got hit by a car. Am I telling it right? How many of you remember that? Got hit by a car. Was in a hospital. Didn't know if he's going to make it or not. Didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And when they're going through one of the most difficult seasons of their life, the Brantley family showed up at the hospital and prayed with them and sat with them and did life with them for a very long time. And then when Miss Linda had her stroke, Sister Brantley decided that she was going to take her under her wings and be an encourager to her. And Linda told me before church, I wanted to make sure that I verified the details. She said from the day that she had the stroke, that Pat Brantley has written her an encouraging word on Facebook Every day. Every day. I've read some of them. Hi, Linda. I hope you're having a good day today. 
I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you. Let me tell you about what's going on in my life today. And it's not long usually. It's just a few words. The point I'm making is, is that Pat Brantley made a decision that I'm going to bless this woman every day of her life even if it means that I have to sacrifice to make it happen loyalty some friends are loyal to the end aren't they Linda and that's what I'm trying to say to you today I'm trying to say that God has called us in this life to do more than just shout and sing and hoop and holler He's called us to live according to his holy principles so that when the occasion rises, that we can be the light in a dark world, that we can be the salt of the earth. We can love the unlovable. We can encourage those who are depressed. We can be his ambassadors. Represent him well. Will you stand with me?